This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Big Monday. With me is my co-host on the Big Monday show, Mr. Barry Spears, the sniper. Barry, how are you? What's going on, man? It's Big Monday. I feel like Jerome Lane tonight. Send it in, Jerome. Is that too many letters for a for a, a name? 16, send it in, Jerome. No, that would be all right. Send it that in, Jerome. Work, right? Yeah, that yeah. would work. Nobody would know what we're talking about anymore. You know who passed the ball to Jerome Lane in that famous dunk where he broke the backboard? No, I do not. Not off the top of my head, unfortunately. I'm ashamed of that. Let, let me this. give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. He is an underachieving coach at a desert university. Sean <laughs> Moneybags Miller. Sean Miller, that's right. Sean Miller... <laughs> Dished to Jerome Lane, and he shattered the backboard, and uh, and and Sean Miller shattered my my dreams of a Final Four many many times. See the pride of Beaver Creek, PA. I think I think is that him or is that Joe Namath? I think it's also- Joe Montana. Wasn't he Joe Montana from somewhere like there? Are they all um, Pennsylvania breads? They're a lot better Pennsylvania breads than the ones that run at Parks. Oof. Uh, parks, baby. Parks. It's Parks Day Monday. I have to admit, I did not watch any Parks today. So it's like a root canal. I can't. Parks? Unfortunately, I just can't. Parks is a tough product, I, I have to admit. When I was there, I didn't pay much attention to what was going on because... Uh, you know, seventy five hundred claimers four different ways. It's uh it's it you know the the oddest thing about that track was was the fact that the inside on the dirt is just brutally deep and deep and no one's ever like thought about fixing it, I guess, and they just ride five wide all all the way around. It's just very odd. It's just very odd. Also I put out a tweet of a uh an old school, <laughs> quote unquote, old school. That's still, still in rotation. Uh, betting machine. Oh, and I saw that. Telling me that Park still has those. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, the old school. You know, there's a lot of things that that are old school that are good. Betting machines are not. Old school <laughs> betting machines are not good. <laughs> not. No. Not at all. They eat your voucher, and you know you got to push the like, like the three the button. button has been used too much. So you got to like hit the just the right kind of angle on the, the screen, otherwise it won't it won't push. Pompano has has uh, some old old uh, betting machines. Sometimes you got to kind of like just keep on pushing the button just to get it to to, to punch the right number, but um. Well, the best are the money snob machines. I call them money snob machines because they only take certain denominations. <laughs> they won't take everything. It's just only certain ones. <laughs> oh, boy. 
It's funny. It's well, I remember when I was a kid that at the track, um, of course, there was no off-track betting outside of OTBs in New York City or New York, except you know, no ADWs or things like that. And um, when you were at the track, they had windows with different denominations dollar-wise. They had a $50 window. They had a $20 window. They had a $5 window and a $2 window. And uh, it was always kind of bizarre, you know, thinking that... <laughs> And and the tickets were different colors too. I think the hundred dollar tickets or the fifty dollar tickets were black. Black. Yeah. And and like the twenty dollars were blue and green and I got a bunch of old tickets. We used to be stupers. That was like my first official job as a as a as a kid. I was we were like seven years old and we'd we'd stoop. We'd pick up all the tickets and and we'd bring them home and then we'd go through and and we always found some winners or you know tickets that people had thrown out or. Um, late scratches or things like that. And my mother used to get upset because, of course, uh, you know, tickets at the racetrack laying on the ground are dirty. So, but uh, that was that was really like my first official, official non-official job was uh, was stupor. I don't even know if they have stupors anymore. Oh, you damn right they do. Do they? I, I don't. I guess I don't pay Not attention. In the Like the ten percenters, they they kind of got rid of those guys. They, they used to have these guys that would hang around the fifty dollar window, and and when you'd make an IRS score, Shiner. you'd get those guys to to sign for you, and uh, you know you'd pay them ten percent, and you'd get the rest, and and you were you know you, you were uh, you you avoided the the IRS uh, nightmare that that used to occur, but even those guys are kind of you know they've changed the wagering laws and. I uh, I don't know those those I don't even know who the guys would be down here. I don't even know if they they exist anymore. And I don't think they do. I mean, most things don't even need to be signed anymore. No, and and a lot of people are betting, you know, you're betting through an ADW or you're betting through uh, your account and because you you want your you know if you're a real a bigger better, you you're going to get rebates. So it it Everything's recorded at that point, so it's uh, again, it's a little different, uh, a little different than it used to be. That's for sure. I hit one one year, and my dad, I, I think I forgot to tell him, or I told him, I don't remember what it was, but he was like, you know, you're gonna have to pay taxes now. I'm like what? It's like, well, yeah, you know. What? <laughs> <laughs> He figured it out somehow. That's that's always was the, that was the the positive of of having your dad be a CPA is that he could always figure those kind of things out. Your accounting mistakes. Uh, but but speaking of mistakes, we were talking briefly about your first experience with the new. California whip rules and regulations. Sunday. Sunday afternoon just watching the racing at Santa Anita. I mean, I I literally wanted to throw my Fred Van Vliet basketball right through my television. 
I mean, it was just it, – it felt like in the stretch it was just pure luck who won and who didn't. And I saw the jockeys kind of, you know, being able to, to kind of correct the horse and keep them straight. But it really wasn't much. And, and there was – you know, they were urging the hell out of the horses, but some of them just didn't respond. And, and you know, that's just not how it – just, it just felt like a real luck kind of situation. And it just didn't sit right with me. I, I I was really disgusted, to be honest with you. Just looking at it, you know, I was I was in some uh, tournaments and stuff, and it was just like, what is this nonsense? You know, I'm not a big. I I I guess the, I guess you would call me a skeptic more than anything. I'm very, 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 very skeptical that there's a huge um, swell of anti-whipping sentiment in the public that's ready to storm the gates and, and, and shut us down, considering that it's been part of the business for, you know, 500 years. And I understand there's going to be people that aren't for it. But there's people that aren't for everything. Everything that's done in society. There's someone out there that's against it. And animal rights groups are nutcases and wackos. And I understand they have some political clout. But you can't give up uh, the competitiveness of a sport like racing where, where that means everything. The, the competitiveness of the horses themselves, the competitiveness of the jockeys, the competitiveness of the connections. And this is not show horses. We're not out there to win ribbons, and we're not just uh, voting on who's the prettiest. In the end, winning is, is what we're all after. And this idea and the, some of the things that come out of people who should know better... Some of the things that come out of their mouths, like the, what the guy at the job from the jockey club said today, like you just don't say that. Just shut up. Just shut up. Yeah, uh, yeah I didn't understand why he would even go there. Because they don't really like racing. They want to just control it. Getting rid of whips, however you feel about it, it's part of the game. And having regulations is certainly having strict regulations is fine but to say that we're going to not have any urging using a riding crop a whip well, stick a whatever you I'd, I'd say probably about I don't know how many races there were I wasn't really paying too too close attention but I could count at least four times yesterday that I saw horses that probably, if they had some whip urging, would have won. One got beat at the wire. Um, actually, two got beat at the wire, and one probably would have responded to to some, you know, left-handed urging. Uh, the lefty stick, um, you know, mid-stretch, and probably would have held on. Well- you know, we're told about the boogeyman all the time in this business. The boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. They're coming to do this. They're coming to do that. They're coming to do this. They're coming to do that. And we had issues in California last spring. Yeah. Well, 
lose every day. Right. <laughs> Literally. And that was a case where everything seems to have stemmed from that. And it's... Um, California racing is in shambles. And it's not going to come back. I think it's dead. And that may be kind of a... I don't even think it's a bold statement considering what they're handling out there. You cannot train horses for less than $100, $110 a day out there under the current uh, you know, economic situation. It wasn't that long ago that New York and California were head-in-head, handle-wise, numbers-wise, overall handle, daily handle, average handle. The handle of California is pathetic. It's terrible. And I don't want to hear about Delmar because Delmar's numbers were lies. And I, I just don't see how you can, how, how they're going to make it. And I know just, and, and I understand that like when you look at Twitter, there's going to be people that are going to be angry and, you know, a lot of people give up the game three, four, five times a month. But there, day. What do you mean? there are some people that are going to, to change and they're just going to see things like you saw them and they're going to say, you know what? I, I could, you, my betting dollars can go somewhere else. And that's the thing that I think New Jersey has to be really wary of. And that their regulations are, are, are as draconian as California's, if not worse. And they're not in the position where they're um, rolling in the dough either. Well, my, my thought is, you know, okay, they have this this rule or rules what's the end game what what are they you know uh, what are they really trying to accomplish i mean it's not helping the product that's you know kind of so-so to subpar where do you go from there other than down <laughs> i'm just i i just don't understand i don't see the end game to putting in a rule like this and having things get better they don't it's not going to get better it's going to get worse because they're they're catering to a group of people that don't even ha- have anything to do with the business other than being um agitators and it's just a it's, it's just the most bizarre concept the nfl has players people humans taking shotguns and shooting themselves after years of, of repeated head injuries. And you know what they did? And they're the number one sport in this country by far. They, they made a couple changes. They changed the helmets. They changed the targeting, targeting rules. And people cry about it. People still whine about it. But you know what? In the end, everyone learned to live with it. But, the, but basically, they didn't, like, outlaw tackling and make it flag football. That's what we're doing. We're outlawing tackling because there was an issue, and, and they wouldn't even talk about it. And that's how racing should respond. You cannot talk to your enemies because your enemies are never going to be satisfied. 
You just need to get your own house in order as best as you can, and then you go to the politicians or whoever you're worried about, and you make your case. And you know what you do? You keep you bring in a giant bag of money and you stick it on on the the, the table and said, "This is what we bring to you. This is what our industry produces." It produces jobs, it produces tax revenues, it produces entertainment, it produces um, publicity and eyes on, on your state. Here's our regulations. They're as, as good as any regulations in the whole world, but they still allow the, the, the competition on the track to continue. There's no horse abuse. If there's any um, anyone goes above and beyond and does too much and, and hits the horse or abuses the horse, then we'll suspend them three months. We'll give them a, a 90-day you know, suspension. How, how many people in, uh, in America today could, could take three months off of their work and not get paid and, and not have that be a big hit? It would be a, a, a deterrent. But that's how you have to do it. What they've done is they've just kowtowed to, to people... Who aren't gonna? It's not like they're gonna say, "Well, we're withholding our money, we're withholding our interest in your sport, we're withholding our betting dollars, or we're, we're withholding all the horses we're gonna own until you do this." They're just like, "Okay, thanks, great, you did that," and then, then they're planning on, "Okay, what's the next thing we can make them quit doing it?" So, well, that's 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 kind of you know what I was getting at is I, I just don't understand, you know, just all out, flat out, just wave the white flag and say, you know what, they're right. And, you know, it's like you have a uh, hundred people that are in a room and there's only four and a half of them that are talking about this one issue. And those are the people that you say, all right, well, they're right. And everybody else is wrong. Or, you know, we're just going to do what they want us to do. Just those four people. And it just doesn't make any sense to me as, as to why, either jurisdiction wants to change that completely and you know try it this way because at least they should know in advance that this isn't going to work i'm telling you it's i've just said it's not going to be good for the product it's, it's just going to go downhill there's no upside to this at all the, the, this industry has the collective self-esteem of a 12-year-old girl <laughs> It's true. You you hear what people say. People in executive positions, people in positions of power, and and they're apologists. Oh, they're not gonna. You know, it's not gonna be acceptable to hit animals anymore. But no, no, that's no. Not that's on. not what you say. You say, listen, this is a sport that's been around for 150 years, and we understand society changes, so we've changed too. We used to be able to hit the horse 455 times in a race, and 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 the jockey would get a hundred dollar fine used to hit horses with, with sticks that were like freaking iron that would leave welts, that would leave cuts on the horse's hocks if they hit them, or the, the hocks or stifles. I said, now we're using something that's akin to a, a Nerf whip. And the the rules about where you can hit the horse, how hard you can hit them, underhand, whatever, whatever the rules are. But I really strongly oppose acting as though Urging a horse to 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 go faster is a negative because that's the exact reason we have horse races to see right, who's that's the whole faster. Point of the game. <laughs> exactly. That's the whole point. Exactly. 
And I'm not, I mean, listen, I'm not for animal cruelty or anything like that. But if you think that horse racing is cruel, you shouldn't be in it. You should do something else. And that's your, that's your prerogative. That's your prerogative. And I'm like, again, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't have rules and strict rules and, and have them enforced. But I can watch races from the past, the best races we've ever had in this sport. And virtually all of them, someone in that, that stretch is, is violating the current rules badly. And that makes it hard for me to understand how people don't understand that that um, you're effectively changing negatively what's going on. And, and you're taking away a, a, something that, that's, um, that's a vital part of the game. And like I said, again, for the 15th time... I'm not for being able to just beat on horses. I, I, I've yelled at jockeys that didn't ride my horses because they would beat a horse up after they got beat because they were mad. What's that guy? Terry Thompson. I almost I almost punched him in the face one day at Churchill after a race. He was beating on a horse. I wasn't even in the race. And I said something to him. I said, you know, if, I, if, if every time I was having a bad day, I beat on somebody like you, you wouldn't like it very much. And he looked at me like I was crazy. But I said, you hit that horse 20 times, and he was, the horse was, was obviously, you know, just Clearly not going falling apart. He wasn't even close to a money position. And, that, and where were the stewards? Upstairs, probably looking at their golf magazines. But I, I'm with you, Barry. And, and you know, your, your, your opinion is coming from um, a decidedly non-industry opinion in that, you know, you, you don't work for a tracker, you don't work for a trainer, you don't work for an owner, you, you know, you, you're you're investing your own money into this, and when it turns guys like you off, and, and you're not like someone who's complained about things all the time either, and, um, you know, you're, you're not like a bad ride guy, you're not uh, a guy that complains <laughs> about, you know, everything, so, so when you tell me that you were really turned off by it, I mean that, that to me is is something that is is striking because uh you know you're you're not a big complainer and and uh and I well, I, I just don't I don't get it. I mean, you know, and it and like you said I, I really don't want to complain, but it's just like it was just way too obvious how bad it was when you watch horses come around the far turn and hit the stretch and everybody's just not passing and then you get one horse that kind of jumps in the bit and runs by everybody else and there was no competitiveness at all and it was just bothersome I, honestly I mean, you're going to be better off letting your horse drift out because if he drifts right. out then you're allowed to then you're allowed to to, to, then you're allowed to hit him once right it's like i, I was watching <laughs> I, i'm writing this this piece on spectacular bid because i got sick of of of, of people like swift hitter talking about cigar like I said, if I were, you know, with you, I would slap you in the face for mentioning Cigar and Spectacular Bid in the same breath. But, so I'm, I'm actually writing about Spectacular Bid's four-year-old season, which was pretty much unmatched in modern horse racing. But I, I, you know, watching some of his replays, in the San Fernando, which was part of the Stroop series, and it was um, 
the the second in the series uh, after the Malibu. The Malibu actually used to be held in January, but um, it was held. It was on a real heavy track, and he moved a little early. Shoemaker moved him a little too early in that race, and he he got a little bit. Uh, Flying Paster made a big run at him, and Shoemaker had to go to the stick. I mean, he hit him five six times on it left handed. And, you know, he, he drew away again. He won by a comfortable length of three quarters. But I was thinking about that today. With, if we're in today's world, and Shoemaker wasn't a big stick guy. I mean, he was a real small guy, but, I mean, one of the great jockeys of, of, of modern times. And he felt the pressure from the horse who was closing. And Flying Pacer was a really, really good horse. And he went to the, the stick. And, I mean, we're talking about, you know, perhaps the best older horse of, of of our generation. And now you're going to tell me that that's, that's wrong or harmful or people aren't going to, you know, stand for it or this or that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you're changing, you're trying to change how the races are fundamentally ran. And... Um, and that's that's uh, I I got Peter Lee on tomorrow's show. He wrote a book about spectacular bidding. So that that should be actually a good show tomorrow. We're gonna talk about uh, spectacular bid. And I'm gonna give a little history, a little history Definitely lesson. Listen. <laughs> and, and, and and again, <laughs> you know, this is something this is something I've complained about a lot. And they, it's so hard to get information, and it's. It seems crazy that in modern times we have so little information about horses that run in 1980, 1980, not 1940, not 1920, 1980. It's hard to find charts for races from that year. Crazy, craziness. Well, not to mention, you know, in the big scheme of things, you still got to pay for them. Yeah, but the, these <laughs> they don't even have. It's it, that, that always blew my mind, you know, you look... Look up past performances from, you know, famous great horses and and things, and it's behind a paywall, which is nuts. Exactly, in my opinion, it is nuts I mean, because what what know, what do you? Like, what, who's going to use that information other than just to look? Yeah, you're not going to use it to bet on it's horses. <laughs> right. You know, horses have been dead for thirty years. But um, it was uh, it's really I think it's fun sometimes to look at. It's fun and it's almost sad and when you look at some of the um some of the horses like Spectacular Bid and I wrote something last week about all along and uh oh, yeah. how they did things and that were so uh, I mean it's almost it's almost like um I guess you couldn't call it superhuman cuz they're not human but like super equine and these were the best of the best I, I you know it's like cherry picking a little bit picking these kind of horses out it wasn't like everybody was like this but but when you see races um just going back to spectacular bid the malibu was run um i believe it was um january 5th of 1980 and the next leg of the series the Strube, uh the excuse me the san fernando was run january 19th and then the third leg was the Strube Stakes was run February 3rd. <laughs> so, 
in a month he ran three times <laughs> the series the whole series was was uh was was a month it took a month to run a series of three races at, at uh um <laughs> at seven eighths a mile and a mile and a, and a mile and a quarter <laughs> so it's like uh like nowadays we have a hard time getting oh, our horses to run like, uh, twice and was uh, it <laughs> Willie Demon? Uh, I mean, that's the one that sticks out to me the, the most. Yes, uh, and, and that was what like seven years ago at this point, maybe even longer than that. And unfortunately, um, it, it you know after he ran Willie Demon back, it kind of killed him. He never really. Yeah, never ran. He, he, nah, he never, he never really. He never showed up. He again. never showed up again. But <laughs> uh, I mean, and I, uh, uh, you can talk about when if you talk about the eighties in New York. Yeah, you have to talk about Oscar Barrera because that was a OSB. it was a couple year phenomenon where he took it to extremes, where he would be entering horses he claimed like the same the day. day. You claim them out of the first or second race, but they hadn't filled entries. He'd be entering the horse back that Friday. It was it was a uh, teriyaki steak has a record that'll never be beaten in, in modern thoroughbred racing in this country. And she won, uh, I think it was March of 1983 or 1984. She won six races in March. <laughs> oh, my God. Six races in it's one month. Heard of. Six races in one month. That was, uh, that, that was, that was Oscar at, at uh, the extremes, for sure. And, you know, the funny thing about Oscar is, you know, he, th- those of us that were there remember, of course, and and years of will make your memory. Um, you don't lose your memory, but sometimes the things get a little fuzzy and and you you forget. But Oscar Barrera was at his peak of his powers for like two and a half years. That's it, two and a half three years, and it seemed like it was forever, but it just wasn't. And the things that that he did would make the modern you know, juice trainer, uh, <laughs> spectacularly envious. But the big thing that really seemed to kind of be the beginning of the end for him was when he claimed um, Shifty Chic oh, yeah. from Steve Jerkins and, and Barry Schwartz, and he turned him into a stake horse. And and nowadays, the difference between the, the difference between fifty fifty and sixty two five climbers and stake horses is is very small. And that's because horses these days just aren't any good. And people hate to hear that. But for the most part, they're just not very good. And the the difference between a stake horse in the 80s and a stake horse in a 50 claimer in the 80s was was huge. It was a big gulp between those two. And and now it's just not. And uh, it is what it is. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it. Horses are, are, aren't nearly as sturdy as they used to be. Uh, despite the laughable theories that trainers, uh, by not racing them, makes them weaker or something, it's just kind of like wild, nut you know kind of stories. But but um, think of how great racing would be if um, if you were running our best horses back every couple weeks instead of every seven eight. When's the last time Monomoy Girl ran? Ago, right? Yeah, I mean, when Charlie Whittingham won the nineteen, 
86 big cap back when the Santa Anita Handicap was the biggest race in the spring in this country. Before the Pegasus, before the Dubai World Cup, the Santa Anita Handicap was the race that everybody wanted to win in the springtime of, of the of, you know the U.S. racing. And he won it with a horse named Greenton. And Greenton had run in the Breeders' Cup turf at Aqueduct the previous year. And he won the, the big cap off the layoff. He didn't race him at all between the the Breeders' Cup turf at Aqueduct in November and the big cap, which I think was the first week of March. And I remember it was a huge, huge thing. And he got praised uh, immensely for being able to, to win a grade one race like that. Essentially, not just a grade one, like one of the premier grade one races, one of the races everybody was shooting for with a horse off of a five-month layoff because it just wasn't it just wasn't done back then. I remember the first Breeders' Cup turf um, at Hollywood Park in 1984. Oh, yeah. Every horse in the turf race, every horse, the Europeans, the Americans, every horse had a race within three weeks of that race. Every single horse. I think there was 12 of them. And nowadays, you would find no horses with a race within three weeks. None. Every once in a while you get one uh, European that does it. Right. A European, right. Maybe a, And the Europeans are, will definitely run back quicker, but they won't run back quicker a lot. They'll run back and no, then they'll run back, but then they'll give them two months off. And that's the one thing that people who today, it's like, well, look, the Europeans can run back you know, quick. It's like, well, yes, they can, but they also specialize in four-race campaigns. <laughs> Breeders' Cup, you know. That's right. If 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 you're a amazing, if you're a young (laughs) or a recent fan of horse racing, Aqueduct had a Breeders' Cup. (laughs) It seems crazy at this point, but they did. They had a Breeders' Cup, and it was a really good Breeders' Cup. Yeah, I was gonna say it was probably better than the first one. It was a gray gray (laughs) day, but I think Storm Storm Cat. Got beat by Tasso. Lost by Tasso yep. in the first race. Yep. Uh, Precisionist won the sprint. Um, uh, Life's Magic beat Lady Secret in the uh, right. in the distaff. And Lady Secret probably would have been horse of the year, two time horse of the year if she, if she had won that. If she won, right? Yeah. Proud Truth <laughs> for John Veach was a huge upsetter, and I think Proud Truth was coming off like a five day layoff. Or something, something crazy going into that. It was absurd. It was yeah. really quick. Yeah, it might have been a week, but uh, he he was coming off a very very short layoff, and he was just kind of the inform horse who who just I was in the right place at the right time. Didn't Precisionist run in the Classic the next year? Uh, he ran in the Classic the first year. Oh, well, it was before. It was the yeah. year before. I knew yeah. it was one of the two. Yeah, I think he 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 ran in the Breeders' Cup like four times. Yeah. <laughs> he was uh, he was he was a really he was a great horse that never really got his due because he they ran him all over the place and they ran him at different distances and 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 he he I mean he he got beat as much as he won but he he was a very you know solid I mean how many horses can can win be you know be grade one stake winners going a mile and a quarter or going six furlongs 
just not that just that's that just doesn't happen very often. He was, he was Ross Fernster maker, I think was his trainer. Fred Hooper. Fred Hooper, yeah, that's yeah. that's why I remember. Yep. He had the red, um, white and blue kind of silks. I, I I taped those things on a beta oh, VCR. Yeah. I had all those. And I used to I I swear to god I wore it out on my parents' VCR. I taped it and I used to watch every you know, the whole seven hours I had two tapes and I would just sit there in the morning like really early in the morning when I was a kid and pop them in the the VCR and watch them like it was run yesterday remember on ESPN I don't have that feeling anymore it sucks but I mean you know I do tape like the big racing days obviously uh but I don't watch them like that, like with the same kind of enthusiasm. I know I'm not a kid anymore, obviously, <laughs> but it's just not the same feeling. Well, you know, part of the problem I think is that you see everything nowadays. And the one yeah. thing about the Breeders' Cup was back then, when you were in New York, when you were in California, where you were in wherever you were, you mostly only saw the horses that were on your circuit, and there wasn't much national television. Uh, CBS did some races, and NBC did the uh, Arlington Million, and uh, you know there'd be select races, but they'd they they'd almost always be like the older colts. I mean, it wouldn't you know the either the Triple Crown races or or, or the, the the handicap division. It was rarely anybody other than that. Like you never saw sprinters on on national television. Just just didn't happen very much. So when you got to a Breeders' Cup, you saw all these horses that you had heard about and maybe you saw um you know you saw them on uh, remember the chris lincoln show they used to have oh, the, yeah. re- the recap oh, show on, yeah. on yep on i think it was on tuesday afternoons and um like in new york we had the recap show the harvey pack had had a recap show on, on tuesday. yep inside racing on tuesdays and um you know the, that's kind of the only exposure you got to out-of-town races it's the only time you ever saw races from other places now you know, uh, you can watch races on your telephone four o'clock in the morning from the other side of the world. So, literally, <laughs> it, it, and it's I think it's it's part of the reason why like um, all star games and sports uh, had have had to kind of change so much. And the, the baseball all star game used to be cool because you know you, you everybody'd have their own uniform on and and you'd see all these guys that you you hadn't seen very much. You know kind of heard of them you saw their names in the papers but you didn't see many of the west coast guys if you're on the east coast and it was just kind of your first time seeing them and now all the games everybody's game is on and you can watch every single game in any sport you can watch every single game and it's uh you know it's, it's just kind of an information overload i think that's part of it and and part of it is just racing just isn't as good as it used to be it's just you know it's just a fact and it's an inconvenient fact, and there's quite a few causes. It's not just one singular cause, but but uh, and and you know there is a fallacy too that in the quote unquote old days every field was an all star field full of you know overflow field. They ran lots of short fields <laughs> in stake races back then, but a lot of times it was because. Um, <laughs> there was really good horses you were afraid of running against. But um, you know nowadays you get that because everybody ducks, but they duck horses who aren't even 
you know, the 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 top horses are ducking the second and third best horses as as opposed to vice versa. Right. And horses just are are, are raced so infrequently, and it's uh, it's just kind of a, a a shame that people, you know, that that we were able to be kind of the last generation that lived that. And I remember in the eighties hearing old timers saying that the horses in the eighties weren't nearly as good as the horses in the seventies and and then, you know, every year, but it's, it's not, it's pretty hard to, to argue the PPs and you get to a point now where are we going to put like, I know that, um, there's going to be a controversy because of the Santa Anita Derby being overturned to justify one. And it, it certainly looks like that that's going to happen. So technically, he will not be undefeated anymore. But does Justify make the Hall of Fame? With what? What do you have? Six starts. I mean, are yeah, we going to put a horse in the Hall of Fame with six starts, even though he won the Triple Crown? I mean, that's that's one of those. If a if a a, a football player, or I shouldn't maybe a football but. A more stats-driven thing. A baseball player. Guy comes in, wins rookie year MVP, and wins the MVP for th- four years running, and then gets hurt and uh, never run, ne- never plays again. I mean, does that guy make the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. And It's a tough call. We're getting now where um, you look at horses, like people want to put Gio Ponte in the Hall of Fame, and I'm like... What? Somebody um, said that? Uh, someone has said that. Out loud? Uh, or on Twitter? It, it's, Facebook? It, it's, it's, Social been, media? it's been a thing. It's been a thing. And really? I think he won 10 races over four years. Campaigns. <sighs> and he was a good horse. And he, he, you know, he danced a lot of dances. And, you know, he won some good races. And he, he, he finished second and third in a lot of good races. I mean, he was a really good horse, but. Hall of Famer? I don't know. If he's a Hall of Famer, then we have to go back and put a lot of horses in the Hall of Fame. For real. I remember when I was a kid, um, I used to watch the, the covers they used to have on uh, on CBS with Jimmy the Greek and Burnt Musburger. <clears throat> and I thought, literally, I thought that Slew Gold was like the second coming of Secretariat. And, and it goes back to your point where you, you know, you're saying you didn't really see any horses out west. So, you know, that's that's kind of the time when I got introduced to racing as a kid. And I think that was in the in the fall, or maybe, maybe it was even before the Breeders' Cup, um, when Sulgold yes, lost. Yeah, 1983. Right, and I was like, well... How could he lose? You know, I, well, he, I was just dumbfounded when he lost. Well, he, he lost like, the first Breeders' Cup. Not, that was 1984. He, he got beat. Yeah. He, he was in the middle between uh, Wild Again and, and Gate Dancer. And I, and I thought Gate Dancer was the coolest horse alive also because of the hood. Yeah. But um, it, it was just it was just crazy because, you know, as, as a child, I was like a fan a legit fan of Slew Gold. I, I just thought he was the best thing ever. You know, seeing the, uh, you know, the Marlboro Cup and all those all those great races that are kind of gone now. Um, 
it's just it, it's just hard to think that you know those days are, are really gone and there's no way to bring it back i mean I, I think we're at the point where that has to be reinvented in some some sort of way so we can get back to not that exactly i, I think it was just a unique period of time um especially now with technology and the way information moves but i don't think it's completely lost and it's just uh, it's just a matter of, of tracks and, and track executives and people involved in racing to, to try to get it there but nobody's on the same page so it seems like it's just never going to happen uh, part of, part of the problem and a big part of the problem is that a lot of money is invested in this business on the bloodstock side trying to make stallions trying to get mares really um credentialed winning races but by the same token that that's part of the problem that's killing racing is that horses um once they have gotten that elusive grade one win you know they're they're looking to take them off the track and it's 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 difficult to to create um interest and name recognition with horses who who just don't race that much and who don't race that long and i understand if i owned a horse i'm a poor person that hey i I wouldn't be able to not pass up i would have to sell but if you're worth a billion dollars, what difference does it make if you get a couple more million bucks? Wouldn't you rather have the best Philly racing? Wouldn't you rather have the best turf Philly racing and the best Colt racing? And th- then, you know, I don't know. I guess Richard Galpin told me a long time ago. He was a bloodstock agent and uh, from England, and he's passed away. He's, he, he helped me a lot when I first started and to be honest with you, I think if he hadn't passed away, my career would have gone a lot different directions because he was opening a lot of doors for me. But um, he said, I, I was asking him about something one day, and he said, Chuck, you got to understand. And he said it in that English accent, which always makes things sound like more official. Better. <laughs> but, but he said, the people um, we were talking about, um, I can't remember who it was, but he said, those people, they don't think like we think. They have a different life experience than we do. What makes them, what makes their clock tick is different than ours. We have, have to work for everything for a living. Therefore, we see things in a different light than they do. So you just have to remember that. And, and I've, that, that's never really, I've never really forgotten that. And, and sometimes I think that to myself when, when someone sells a horse... Uh, or sells a piece of a horse to another guy who's worth, you know, billion dollars, thinking to myself, if I owned that horse, I wouldn't sell, I would sell 0.0% to anybody. Like, that's mine. I, I'm, you know, this is, especially when I bred. I was like, this is, I planned the mating. I did this. I, you know, our people raised the foal. We, we got the horse racing. It's won all these races. Like, this is, this is me. This is, uh, um, this is a reflection of, of my program, and no one else is latching on to it. But that's really well, the biggest. The man. That's really the biggest. Well, you know what? I think when uh, when it jumped the shark was when Bob and Beverly Lewis in her eighties started selling horses instead of trying to race them, and they had a lot of success in racing horses. They were very, you know, they were owners that had a lot of success. Oh yeah. And next thing you know, they're 
they're in their 80s and they're selling horses and they didn't even have I don't even think they had kids. So it wasn't like they were were trying to, you know, prepare the family for the um you know for them to to pass away because I I understand that estate planning is something that really rich people have to do but I mean they started selling horses instead of racing them and that was always odd to me because I thought to myself if I was a guy who who didn't money was no object and I was in my 80s and I found something I really like to do and that's horse racing and like a sale a sale is just like anticlimactic yeah yeah, no, I definitely follow you on that. It's just, like, weird, yeah. Like, if you and I sold a horse, we bred a horse and sold a horse for a million bucks, right? That'd be a really good thing for you and me, right? But for those people, a million bucks would be, like, 25 bucks for me and you. So, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't we be, wouldn't you be, feel better to, to race that horse and to, to do good and have one of the best horses and get on the Triple Crown Trail and, you know, win a bunch of races and... and I don't know, it's just, uh, it's hard for me to understand that kind of logic because I guess I've never been in a position where I had enough money where yeah. money didn't matter, you know? Crazy disposable income. <laughs> I mean, money doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean anything, but one thing that having lots of it does, it it allows you to kind of quote-unquote do what you want. And why would you choose selling your horses? I don't know. It's just, it's just, uh, well, you know, what's crazy is, uh, my daughter, you know, she gets a lot of exposure to racing between me talking about it 24 seven to my household. who doesn't gives a rat's ass. They they could care less or couldn't care less. Um, and then TVG basically being in any room that I'm in, in the house that has a television. Uh, she'll come out of her room from playing video games or whatever and you know I'm watching TVG and she sees the commercials for the horses and she asks me a lot she's like well is that horse going to run when I want to see that one run and I you know have to go through the explanation of no the horse doesn't run anymore and she's like well why do they have commercials with horses that don't run and I didn't know what to tell her. <laughs> well. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good question. I mean, it's it's just, you know, obviously she doesn't really understand much about it. She likes it. She wants to, you know, her thing, she calls it Derby Horse when we go down to uh, to Gulfstream. She's like, when, when can we go to Derby Horse again? Is COVID over? And I was like, nah, not yet. And she's like, I'm ready to go to Derby Horse. But... I just found it a little, you know, just things that, that you were talking about, about seeing something through somebody else's lens. I just don't, you know, like from from her perspective, it's very simple. It's like, well, I don't understand why they're putting these horses on TV if they're not even going to run. And it makes a lot of sense, even though it's very simple. Right. Well, at least she didn't ask about Run Happy. Oh, she asked about Run Happy a lot. <laughs> I, I, and my wife asked me about Run Happy. She's like, why does everything have Run Happy on it? I was like, I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know what the what the uh, the end game with that is, it's, but it's, it's out there. It's all my fault. I could be blamed for this. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, I, I should have just done, done, done what they asked, and there would have never been any run happy commercials. Everyone would have been saved. But and that's terrible. That's like a Men in Black moment. Uh, that you just, yes, that's right. I need one of those those machines. <laughs> <laughs> but um. <laughs> Honestly, I thought it was interesting that Claiborne, um, they um, announced their stud fees for next year, and he was a TBA to be announced yet, oh, <laughs> or, or TBD to be determined, whatever it is. So, I'm I'm sure that they're probably trying to talk to Mr. McInvale into lowering the fees because you know he's got three winners and that's not very good, and I'm sure he they're meeting resistance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, slides everywhere. <laughs> but uh, I I thought that was that was interesting. I, I I'd like to get a. Personally, I I would I would put him a ten. And. Let's see what happens. The dirty little secret. It's not even a dirty. It's not even a secret. But is that a lot of stud fees at that level? You're not actually paying that whole stud fee. That you say, listen, I'll give you eight. And I was like, okay, we'll take it. Because it's not as though it, it really costs them anything else to have them hop up on one more mare and only get eight instead of ten. But uh, but I don't know. I I think it's... Uh, I'd be interested to see see where he goes. I'd be really interested to see where he goes. And I, and I tell you, I, I know he's been a bust. I really think his horses will be better as older horses. Not older, older horses, but... I, I think they'll be better next year at this time. That makes a lot of sense. He was not a particularly precocious horse. He was just fast. And it, there's a difference between being precocious and being fast. He was just fast because he was just naturally talented. He was big and, 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 and kind of, you know, grow. It took him a while to grow. And, you know, his, his body wasn't matured. And we wound up giving him time off. Um, in July, July, August, most of July, August, he, he had off. So people are racing these horses. And, and yeah, I understand too that like, just because a stallion did something that their, their progeny aren't all going to do the same exact thing. But, um, At least show some, some I, I, but I think from a physical place. standpoint, I think that that's kind of something that's passed down more than than other things. And if a horse was like kind of a late maturing horse, you would expect his progeny to be more late maturing. And maybe that's sure. maybe genetically that's not how it works. I, I can't tell you that because I took genetics, but I don't remember because it was a long time ago and I didn't pay that much attention because it was boring. But um, I just. Um, The winner he had in, in California, um, the, the way the horse was running kind of looked like him. You know, um, it looked like he had the same kind of action, which I didn't see from the others. He didn't win till almost almost January. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was, it was December at Turfway. Right? And the first race, he really didn't seem like he was prepared to run. He just was... He was just better than those horses. He was getting out the whole way, and he put some 10-pound bug. I mean, it was like 
complete amateur hour and it still worked out. The last thing you want on a green horse is a, is a green rider. But it still worked out, which just goes to show you how, how really talented he was. He was an immensely talented horse. But that doesn't mean he's going to be a good sire because Ali Sheba was an immensely talented horse. Yeah, just a bust. Uh, Coronado's Quest was a very, very good horse. Nothing. Um, there's there's so many examples out there of of really good horses. Skip away. Who's better than Skip away? Bust. It's it's just such an inexact science, and it has to be. If it wasn't, you know, we'd Sheikh, all be doing it. Sheikh Mohammed would be buying them all up, and he'd have all the good horses because he has more money than everybody else does, pretty much. So. They've had a they've stood a bunch of horses that, that weren't any good too. And then, you know, you have a horse like Frankel or American Pharaoh who are the cream of their crops and, and they turn out to be good stallions and then other ones don't. And it, it's it's kind of uh it's kinda of hit or miss. Most stallions fail. Most stallions fail. It just is a fact of life. And uh horses that are good stallions they come from all different um, backgrounds. They come from, some of them were precocious, some of them were not precocious, some of them could run on the grass, some of them could not run on the grass. Um, you, know, you know, some of them had two, three, four starts lifetime. Some of them had 15, 20, 25 starts lifetime. There's no right or wrong way of doing it, really. And, you know, you certainly would like to have some pedigree because most horses that don't have that blue blood pedigree, that have the race record but not the pedigree, there aren't a whole lot of them that turn out no, to be real good stallions. There's not a whole lot of them. Um, but there are a lot of, you know, good, you know, really good horses with really good pedigrees that also don't turn out to be great stallions either. So it's a very inexact science. I mean, you look at mares, and uh, obviously mares can only produce one full year, so they have a lot less um, horses to to draw from, but you'll look at the pedigree pages of the sale, and you'll see a, a, a real big star horse underneath the dam, and then you'll see four or five horses that really didn't do much of anything, and you're saying, well, same genes in a lot of ways, a lot of the same genetic makeup, and you'll, you'll see full brothers one of them can run, one of them can't run. And sometimes it's confirmation, sometimes it's soundness, sometimes it's unluckiness, sometimes it's breathing, sometimes there, there's so many things that can go wrong to keep a horse, prevent a horse from being a good horse. And there's only, like, one really good thing that can happen. Like, they can be good enough and have enough physical talent to overcome whatever problems they had. And those horses are still are still pretty rare. There just aren't that many of them. But uh, the stallion game is, is a tough game, and... Um, you know, prices are trending down, but the sales are down 30, 35%. So what what do you expect? It's 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 the way it goes. You, you can't keep uh, the only stallions that can hold the line or, or can be raised in, in fees are the ones that are doing outstanding. And, uh, you know, there's just not that many of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just going to be interesting how that plays out. Um 
in the next couple of years and, and what you see on the track, uh, it, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I think it, you know, the, the ripple effect from, you know, the sales being down, the full crop being lower, it's, it's going to have a huge impact in my opinion on, on the product. And it, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens, um, during you know, this, this next couple of years, because it, it seems like we're at the, that, that crossroad where it's, it's almost make it or break it for the industry. As far as, you know, this is, this is the time that the changes need to be made and do things a different way. Um, and it just seems like the, the powers that be get it wrong, obviously with the, the whole whip situation to, to beach itself. It's true. Um, it, it's it's the numbers. So much of it boils down to math, and if the incentive to breed horses isn't there, and that's what a downturn in sales is. It's it's a it's a disincentive for people to breed breed horses, or people. It, it's an incentive for people to call their herds to get smaller to just keep their best mares um because if they don't think i mean think about breeding a horse how long it takes the process of acquiring a mare and you, maybe you acquire them at, at one of the upcoming uh bloodstock sales in the fall or in january and you get the mare then you have to decide who you're going to breed to then you're going to have to set it up make sure you Hopefully you get to the stallion you want to get to, and and then you you actually do the deed. The the mare is covered by the stallion. Well, now you got a year of waiting, eleven months or so. You're waiting. There's nothing going on. Of course, in the meantime, you have to plan on who you're going to breed her back to, assuming that she doesn't have a lot of complications and she's able to be bred back. So. She has the foal the next the next uh, spring, and then you breed her back. And then guess what you do? You wait another year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got a foal. Well, now now you're on year number two, with a mare, a foal, and a foal coming. Well, then you have that foal, and of course this is provided everything goes well. All right, so now you got a yearling. You got a foal. And you got you got to breed your mare again, so now you're you you find another stallion. So you've got a, another stallion. You got three stallion fees in before you can see any revenue. Right, any kind of money <laughs> so, coming back. You have you have you have three years. Three years. I mean, what very few investments take years to determine if they're good or bad. So breeding horses is not. Um, it's a long-term thing, and the things that happen this year, if someone doesn't breed a mare this year, well, they're not going to have a foal next year, and if they breed them next year, then it's going to be two years before that mare has a foal again. Two years. So to, to, to catch up, to play catch up, to make up, it's difficult. It, it's, it's a tough thing because, uh, because the process takes so long. 
and and that that's one of the real problems with the sales numbers dropping and it's good in one respect in that people who are buying horses to race them are finding are not having to spend as much and or whenever they can save money because racing is going to be expensive it's going to be expensive to keep your horse in training to pay for all the vet bills and if they if they're good enough to pay for the airplane rides and the stakes nominations and all that stuff but um there are opportunities from a, a an owner's standpoint in that if you're not buying the absolute best bred best confirmed you know best confirmed horses which are not always the best ones uh, you, you probably are, are buying at a discount this year. So maybe you buy an extra horse. Um, the problem is the pool of buyers seems like it's smaller. And that that's going to be an issue. And you have um, these big sales where half of the horses who are cataloged aren't changing hands. So that's a lot of horses that need to find another sale or another home and uh, that that's that's not easy to do especially if you got a, a nice you know juicy 50 75,000 stud fee in the the in the whole in, in the fold and, and you're not able to get anything for them it's hard to take 10 grand for one when you got when you owe 50 on them so um, it's a complicated kind of situation and it's a it's a long-term thing. If you have a mare, you probably won't know if she's a really good producing mare for like five years. I was going to say until the, at least two of them finish racing. Right, <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, or even just get, get through a couple three-year-old years. You're talking five, six years before you know. That's a huge investment. That's a huge investment. I mean, there's very few investments um, on Wall Street that you're going to put your money in sinking and you're not going to know for five or six years if you did any good or not. And that's why selling horses is, is important because it generates some some revenue, some income for those people. Because not every person that breeds a horse is, is, a, is, is a, a super wealthy person, is a billionaire. Um, there's a lot of people that breed horses... That are, are you know they're they're well off, but they don't have, uh, they don't have hundreds of billions of dollars or tens of billions of dollars, and and as such they can't afford to just you know take take an ass whipping every year. They they need to 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 have some light at the end of the tunnel, just like people that own horses and and, and you're racing, and if you keep coming in sixth and seventh and eighth, well it just you kind of lose the fun of it. In the beginning it might be fun just to have a horse, see your name in the program, see your silks get to go to the paddock, blah, blah, blah. But uh, if you don't start doing well and all you do is pay bills, it's not the, it's not all that much fun. But... It'll... it'll uh, I'm really kind of interested to see how the bloodstock market is going to play out uh, in November... Because certainly, Midnight Bisu is going to sell great. I think uh, a couple of the Chad Brown uh, turf mares are for sale, and I mean, there's going to be some you know huge prices paid for 
just uh, top, top, top of the line type horses like that. But those aren't the ones that are, those horses are always going to bring huge money because they're, they're only, the only people that can afford those are, are the, the, the recession-proof mega wealthy people who have so much money it doesn't really matter that much. It's those middle, you know, grade horses, the ones that used to be worth fifty, seventy-five. How much are they going to bring? That that to me is going to be the interesting um, part of the upcoming sales in November. Is is the bottom going to fall out completely for those horses where they can't find sellers at all, or, or excuse me, buyers at all, or or will those horses that used to sell for fifty thousand will they sell for twenty-five, or won't they sell? You know, period. It's it's. That that'll probably tell us as much as, um, as the yearling sale did because the yearling sale just could be a blip in the in the radar. Um, COVID years, right? But if the people aren't reinvesting in mares and they're not, people aren't buying foals. Um, because a lot of foal, a lot of weanlings are bought to pinhook. There's 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 some guys that can pick out weanlings and, and for racing, but I, I gotta be honest. I was not good at that at all, and uh, I won't be trying that again. I, I was I was really good at yearlings. I picked out a lot of really good yearlings for not huge money that turned out to be greatest stake horses. Um, but weanlings is difficult, and and uh, it, it's like going and and it's like going to a third grade basketball game and picking out who's going to be the best college players. You know, you can pick out the best guy, the top, you know, the top 5%. You can pick out the guys who are throwing the ball over the backboard who were never going to be coordinated enough to, to do anything. It's the middle guys that are tough. And that's the same thing with weanlings. And you can tell the star ones, the big, strong ones that look like they're, you know, they're a foot bigger than everybody else is at the same age. But those are the ones that sell for big money. It's It's those kind of ones that, you got to look at and try to figure out what they're going to look like a year from now. And and that's hard to do. It's very, very hard to do. And I, I have to admit that uh, I'm not... The, the few weanlings that I've bought, in, uh, we bought them the pinhook and we took a bath. Matter of fact, one, one horse we got out of, we lost money on him, but we didn't lose all the money. But yeah, it's kind of a funny story in that... Uh, um, a guy, uh, was at the, a trainer, an old, older old trainer was at the, um, sale with his owner. It was a new guy, new owner, really enthusiastic and, uh, has his wife with him and they loved this, you know, loved the whole pageantry of the sales and, you know, get caught up in it. And, um, the trainer went to the bathroom <laughs> and the, the wife bought the horse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it was our horse, and 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 they, I think they gave ten thousand for the horse, and uh, I mean I didn't like the horse at all, and this was as a yearling, um, but as a weanling, um, I think we we lost mostly expense money. I think we didn't. I think I gave like eight thousand for the horse, but it just didn't look, you know. You have a horse for a year, no matter where they are, it's it's gonna it's expensive. Horses eat a lot, and yeah, he came out of the bathroom and they they signed the ticket for the horse. He's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> oh, I like this one. <laughs> uh, I was like, "Oh," I was standing there, you know, trying to shut up, thinking to myself, 
Holy crap, if these people hadn't bought it, we might not get any bids at all. Nobody would have bought that horse. And the horse didn't do anything, never did anything. But, uh, yeah, yearlings are a little bit easier. And, and they prep yearlings now to the point where they're almost training them. They put them on jog machines, they, they swim them. They When they come in there, they look almost like little two-year-olds. So it's a little easier to pick out yearlings now than it used to be 20 years ago when they bring them out of the field and they'd be big and fat but uh it, it's it's a challenge Ugh, excuse me it's it's a challenge to uh to pick out weanlings but we'll see how strong that market is and like i said most weanlings are bought the pinhook so if that market looks soft then we might be going into another soft market next year so, I mean, it's it's not as though the bloodstock market rising has really caused racing to be better, but there is a lot of money invested by people because of it, and at this point, we can't be chasing any money invested in this business, whether it be on the gambling side or whether it be on the, the gambling by buying horses side. We're not in a position really to chase any money away. This is a, we have to retain what we can retain and try to grow it, some at some way, shape or form somewhere down the line. It, it needs to be, it needs to grow again because I I don't believe that we can contract till health. I don't I don't believe that because the business the game has been contracting for thirty years almost, fewer and fewer races every year every year every year. It doesn't seem like that on the face of it, but it's. But it's true. It's it's, uh, and the full crops are getting smaller. We're just getting we're getting to be a smaller business. But, you know, hopefully it's uh, the COVID thing ends and we can go back to some semblance of normalcy. Some, yeah, just a blip on the radar, but that you know we won't know that for a while. Doesn't it doesn't look good? It doesn't look good, but uh, but that's something that we have no control over. I think next week we can probably start talking about some of the Breeders' Cup fields as that uh, they'll start to come into a, a, a little bit of a clearer picture. I, I know some of the Europeans. Uh, seem to be bowing out. I know there was a horse uh, of Godolphins that has a funny name that starts with a G. G, yeah. <laughs> that, um, I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it, but uh, I saw that he was retired, so he won't be coming. And uh, I, I know a couple of the Aiden O'Brien horses that kind of were thought about being pointed now or maybe being pointed. And, um, it could be really soft on the turf side this year. It really might be without much European participation. It might, um, it might be, it might be weak, and uh, you know, kind of gives the Americans a little better shot to win. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with the juvenile races. I haven't really seen or heard much of anything about the juvenile turf races with horses coming over. And, and I'll be honest, every year I bet Europeans in those races, and I always bet the wrong ones. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I did see today where Bill Mott is thinking about racing Frank's um, Rockette in the 
against the boys going six furlongs, uh, believing that she's better going six than seven. And with Gamine and um, Tom Amos's filly in the sprint, the sprint might actually, the Philly sprint might actually be, be the best race. a tougher race because outside of the, the Steve Asmussen three-year-olds, which certainly look like they are promising, but they're very lightly raced for a, that, that caliber of race, especially um, the horse, what was this, Nashville? Yes, Nashville and, and Yopon. Right? Yeah, I mean, Nashville's got, what, two starts? <laughs> so, yeah, he looked great, but, I mean, he's biting off, that, that's biting off a lot, and I don't know that it's even been announced that he's going, but um, the other... The other contenders in the sprint this year are, are very, very weak. It, it just, uh, it's a very weak group for sprinters this year. And uh, especially, I, I guess, Vacoma is supposed to go in the dirt mile. Yes, that's what I was so, hearing. I mean, it makes it. Uh, might be a better betting race than it would be as a as a quality championship race. Yeah, it it actually you might see other guys taking shots in there, thinking, "Hey, look at the this sort of the horse to beat. He's really not much better than my horse. My horse runs similar numbers. Let's take a shot." I think there was. I, I also might have read yesterday that um, someone Bob Hess maybe had claimed a horse like ten days ago for a guy for. Keeneland for a hundred thousand, and they're gonna run that horse back in the Breeders' Cup off the claim. It wasn't that horse that ran the other day on Saturday, was it? Uh, I know he had one winner yesterday. The other day, I should have. I should have uh, written down. pretty good. I think it was a horse that ran like ten days ago or eleven days uh, ago. It got claimed like eleven days ago. Jeez. <laughs> but but that could be I the first that's... off the claim into the Breeders' Cup. I would expect a full field. I would expect a full field. I mean, you got the Peter Miller horse, um, who's you know who's who was claimed and has turned into a monster, one of the leaders of the division. But the East Coast sprinters and the Midwest sprinters, outside of the Asmussen barn, are just not real scary this year. Um, I, I still, I, I see, uh, I see Mr. McPeak is still waffling on Swiss Skydiver. I expect the waffling to continue right up until the pre-entries, and I bet he's, he enters in both races. Both, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I would, I would run her in a distaff. I would run her in a distaff because you're a solid second choice, and you just, you know, you have to beat one horse who's who's might be a little better than you. In the Breeders' Cup Classic, I, I can see her being sixth or seventh or eighth best. Um, I, I know Authentic got a huge, huge sheet number coming out of the Preakness. And uh, she was on the inside and she carried less weight. So her number will be a little bit less than his number. But... Um, you're still looking at a, at a really big jump up for her 
So I know people believe in the bounce. Some people don't believe in the bounce. Some people... And with three-year-olds, it's harder to tell because sometimes they just they just jump to a new level, and that's just where they are. They don't bounce; they bounce up instead <laughs> of so bounce down. But um, that's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Um, I I don't know. It's uh, I I guess I I shouldn't say because I would I didn't really like her in the Preakness, and she sure proved me wrong there. But I, I think the classic, the classic is going to be a full field as well. It's going to be a big field, and, and it's, it's going to be strong. Um, I mean, the Distaff has lost some of the best contenders. So yeah, but that one that's still in there. <laughs> she is, but she's also a horse that hasn't run in a couple months. Yeah, but it seems like you know she runs better with less time. You know what I mean? With more time between races. Well, she's had a lot so. of time. We'll see. I mean, it's good to see them throw it down, but um, I'm with you. I, I, I think the Distaff is probably the better race for her. Yeah. The other races, it's just to me, it's just too hard to figure at this point. At least, at least the well, Chad Brown has 13 horses. Well, what else is new? In the Breeders' Cup. So. And it might be, you know, this is this might be the best year to do something like that, especially because the the European contingent's probably not going to show. No, if they do, it's not. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a big group. So, so we'll see what happens. I mean, this weekend's racing was was rather soft. <laughs> and New York had a couple. New York had a, had a couple uh, turf stakes with. The Knickerbocker, which used to be, which used to be an Aqueduct race, and then uh, the Hill yeah. Prince, the Hill Prince, which I think used to run in the spring. Um, but uh, the Knickerbocker was run on yielding turf, and the horses from France ran one too, which could have been a very easy non-actual handicapping handicapping theory, just betting the French horses on the, French on, horses. on 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 the soft turf because French racing is. A lot of it is conducted over soft turf. Even so, I think it was like the fourth choice, and it was I think there was there was there was six in the race and or five in the race, and they were very very close. Uh, it was it was very close to having four, four t- five to two shots. Two to one shots, yeah. yeah. They were all hovering the same price. Uh, but um, it was nice to see Tom Bush upset the field with a get stormy. Get Stormy's yes, really, indeed. really been a, a solid sire, a really solid sire. Um, he's he's exceeded expectations for sure, and um, he was he was kind of an upset. I mean, uh, the horse of Chris Clements that that finished second at one to two was the <laughs> horse who I on this podcast uh, a few probably about two months back said it would look like the real deal and the best three-year-old turf horse and uh i put the jinx on the horse because he hasn't won since yes right? <laughs> he's no longer winning and, and the other note of uh new york stakes activity this weekend was mr broberg showed up ran a 41 shot and then got fanned off i, I think mr broberg's time in new york is going to be short I don't 
see a lot of success for him there. To be honest with you, um, when you it's hard to bully uh, people in the claim box when a lot of other guys have lots of money too and the purses are going to be really high and I think you're going to see a lot of aggression these next couple months from some of these trainers that uh, that haven't been doing as well as they have in the past, like Rudy. And I think you're going to see a lot of claiming and a lot of a lot of aggressive movement. And I think uh, Mr. Broberg's going to find that the waters in New York are, are a lot deeper than the waters uh, in the, out in the uh, out in the, the southwest. In the bayou. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, I listen. Theodoro's done good, so so it's not like it can't happen. But um, I don't know. I just have a. This is it's just my opinion that uh, he's gonna struggle a little bit more than than he he, he normally would. And, you know, he might prove me wrong and go win a bunch of races. But that's why that's why they run the races. Yes, indeed. But uh, never a bad thing to have a big outfit come in and, you know, out-of-town horses. Shake things up, yeah. Make, make the races interesting. But, uh, but we'll see what we'll see what happens. Uh, but his first start was not a good one. No, definitely not. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, this coming week... There is a uh, a dearth of stakes action because the Breeders' Cup is in a couple of weeks and there's like not much going on. Uh, I think the Breeders' Stake is the, the third leg of the Canadian Triple Crown is is this weekend. Uh, and there's a horse going for the Canadian Triple Crown. Oh but, yeah, uh, was it Mighty Heart? Yeah, yeah. So so our our Canadian friends bringing us a little bit of action. Um, but uh, the rest of the country is going to be pretty quiet. I think uh, it's closing week of Keeneland. Churchill starts up um, soon. And uh, and when we get into the winter racing, it's, it's hard to believe that we're already like two weeks away from the Breeders' Cup. But, but you know, here we are. Right, yeah. It, it snuck up, you know, which we kind of anticipated. I, I know we talked about it before. It's like, you know, once we hit Preakness, it's just a few sleeps away, and it's in his Breeders' Cup day. Yeah. It just went so fast. It seems like, you know, even the Preakness, you know, wasn't really that long ago. It seems like it was so long ago. Yeah, right. Maybe it's just the COVID year that's that's getting to us late. Yeah. It seems as though the racing... Um, the tracks are kind of planning for business as usual for you know from what I've seen some of the releases that they're going to have a Pegasus Gulfstream is supposed to let fans in starting with the championship meet but I mean the COVID numbers are not exactly uh, trending in the right direction in a lot of ways so uh, even though it doesn't get colder here I mean that's one of the causes the one of the supposed root causes of the COVID um, resurgence is people inside more, and that certainly isn't the case here, though lately down here it's been raining every single day. Like, the rainy season's usually over by now, but 
it's it's we've gotten a lot of rain. We're supposed to get rain all day tomorrow too. Yeah, we got rain all day up here too. So. But uh, it's hard for people like me who are old and decrepit, and my joints start to ache. But uh, <sighs> it'll be uh, you know we get the the last the last days of Calder. We've got six more weeks. Yep, but uh, things sometimes are just, life goes on, right? Has to, evolve or die. Evolve or die. But, uh, what's his name, uh, um, Bodie Express. Blue drawers off. If, if they ran every day, if he ran all of his races and uh, had called her, he wouldn't lose. Acted good, was good in the gate, broke alertly, and a a, a tick off the track record. A tick. A, a, a hundredth of a second from tying the track record of Mr. Jordan. Mr. Jordan, another Gulfstream Park West superstar. They couldn't run anywhere else. Couldn't win anywhere else. <laughs> it was so funny that no matter he he was kind of like a, a a like a lower level tap kick kiss or whatever his name is. Tacitus. Tacitus. Yeah, no, you're right. He, I mean, it was just crazy how much money he would take at at Gulfstream, and then you get him eight miles west. And he runs like a superstar. You'd you'd see and him in a race, price. and he he'd be he'd be head and shoulders, speed figures wide over the whole field, and he would get beat Still time and time loose. again. And then he would go to Calder, and he would just run like he was Secretariat. Secretariat, the Secretariat of Calder. Um, I'm I'm. I'm going to probably make another trip back to Calder before it finally goes. Sentimental reasons. Yeah, I, I heard a rumor, of course, you know, racetracks and rumors, that it's possible that Churchill might wind up reversing course and maybe some of the lawsuits and blah, 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 but I, I don't harbor much much hope in that. And, um. It's it's uh, I mean there's there's not much left in the place for sure. No more tents either. No, this year we got no tents, no tents. Well, no one's supposed to be there except for owners, and you're only supposed to stay for your own race. Well, that means that there's probably the same crowd that there normally would be. <sighs> nah, it's, it was pretty dead the one day I was there. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't really letting anybody in. I didn't. I don't even see anybody trying to get in and and there's no you know there's no wagering there's no betting going on in in the late you know, years past they had the the people with the the mobile um betting machines taking yeah. this but they didn't even have that so so it's 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 about you know we've reached the end i i, I wish we could work something out with hialeah man that would be the greatest thing i mean wouldn't it be great to have like a three-week november meet in Hialeah. Oh, Dude, I'd, I'd, I'd be down there every day. 
Seriously, you you could have the Breeders' Cup there. Oh, man, that place is so great. It it would be it would be great to have like a th- like a four day, three week meet. You know, twelve races or twelve excuse me twelve days of racing. Um. There's so many things you could do. You could you could have one of those, um, those Florida Sire Stakes races. And, and, and chop some of the money off of of the first three um, legs that they have and create a fourth leg. And I'll have another one. Have it be a, a, a four-leg series instead of a three-leg series, which would be more in line with what and how people race horses these days. This isn't 1990 anymore, you know? And and kind of have that be the, the, the final of those, those series and have a turf race and, you know, utilize... Utilize that place as as a as a uh, kind of like a national racing treasure, and for people that haven't been there, it's such a, a amazing. It's such a great venue. Like when you walk in there, you just feel like the the horses of uh, you know the citations of the past. You know, it's, it's like just, uh, the Saratoga of South Florida. It's just, it's just a great place, man. I, I, it just sucks that it's doing nothing. Yeah, exactly. Well, they have weddings there. And, and fights. Yeah, fights. Well, weddings usually wind up in fights. So. Being fights, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's been talked about for a while now. And... Um, I know there's some people at Hialeah that would really, really, really like to have racing, but I know there's others that aren't really nearly as enthused about it. So, But there would be almost no downside to it, that's for sure. It would allow some time off for Gulfstream. It would allow us to get back to a place like Hialeah, allow new people to see, you know, experience racing there, and... Uh, it would be it would be a fun deal and and you would get some of the people coming you know the, the trainers coming from the north could ship down early um you know the locals could would would be happy to run there and and uh it would seem to be a, a good idea but as we know racing often doesn't make the good ideas happen they don't like the good ideas they like the bad ones like racing roulette Racing roulette was one of the worst ideas anyone ever came up with. Churchill had odds and evens, so it's not just it's not just uh, Stronic. They, Churchill had odd odd and odd and even bets, uh, maybe a decade ago, and no one bet on those either. Those were not bet very, you know. There was no there was no handle on them. Almost anything. Those gimmick bets don't work. Horse players, the modern horse player is way smarter than the, the horse player of 30 or 40 years ago when there was, wasn't anything else to gamble on and you got a lot of dumb money. The guys now bet their people are pretty sophisticated and, and uh, not just the whales either. Talking about uh, the modern guy, there's a lot of handicapping information out there. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot more uh, interaction between 
people, between betters. There's a lot more people out there willing to try to help people uh, become better betters. Yeah. I mean, different yeah. types of bets so you can make money. So. Yeah, so uh, there, there's, uh, it's kind of a negative that there's not more, you know, quote-unquote dumb money in the pools, but because uh, it... Oh, but there's plenty of that also. I mean, it, you just get on Twitter on a Saturday afternoon and you, you can see it, <laughs> but there should be more. Yeah. Yep, that's true. I played Powerball today. To win? I just want to let you know. Okay. You, you might be talking to America's newest millionaire. That's okay. I just uh, have to check the tickets. I don't even know if they draw today or tomorrow. Uh, I but think it's Wednesday, isn't it? We always uh, should, you should always play Powerball or the Mega Millions or whatever. Because you never know when you're walking around lucky... And that's the only way you can figure out if you are or not. You gotta make a bet. That's true. Might be walking around lucky and I not even know it. It's my mother. <laughs> this is funny. My mother, uh, she tells me to play it whenever it reaches over three hundred and seventy-five million. So your mother's one of those elitist Powerball players who is not willing to hit for like three hundred million. That just doesn't interest her to three hundred million. <laughs> I guess her reasoning is, and and my mother is a slots player, so we have to preface that. But she, <laughs> she says it's about to pay, so that's when you want to. That's when you want to play it. So, uh, oh, that, that's a that's a maybe a plausible theory. I, having never have hit it myself, <laughs> right? I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. I would be, uh, it's at like 92, uh, and I, I'm going to tell you that not only am I going to accept the 92, I'm going to call J.G. Wentworth because... I want my money now. <laughs> yes. If you have a structured settlement and you need cash now, call J.G. Wentworth. That's right. I will be calling him. Well, they need to call us right now because we just did a commercial. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Send us fifty bucks. <laughs> we'll take it in a voucher. <laughs> we'll take anything. We're not proud. We just want action. <laughs> I'm winning. I'm winning a fantasy football again this week. By the way, including today's mid-afternoon game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was funny because I had. Uh, um, I got Tyreek Hill, and he plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then I have uh, the kicker for Arizona, and I don't even know his name. But uh, I was thinking to myself, hold on. I was looking yesterday, like, they both play tomorrow, but they don't play each other. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> Holy crap, there's two Monday night games. I didn't even know. And, it, and the second Monday night game wasn't even a night game. It was a day game. It was a day game. <laughs> It was the rarely seen Monday. Uh, it, it was it was like they said, "Hey, it's in Buffalo, so we'll adopt the the press Isle schedule and, and start at five o'clock." That's the worst. But they they played on 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 regular turf. They didn't go to the artificial turf. I don't even know one. Did Kansas City win? I yeah, I think they put the beat down on the Bills. 
I don't know if anybody noticed, but the uh, Dolphins are just in one game out of first place, and they're headed to New England. And they're just saying. Just saying. Well, Mr. Tua got in the game the other day. Just, you know, to shut out the Jets. The Jets are horrible. Sorry, Jet fans. because Tom Brady's not in the division anymore. Ah, uh, Tom Brady. Yeah, he got them turned around all, all of a sudden. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, his team got beat so bad they 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 took his State Farm commercial away. I was gonna say, there's no more discount double check. No more discount double check for Aaron. <laughs> Aaron be going to Geico. <laughs> <laughs> You're hanging out with Flo, the progressive lady. Flo, Flo is annoying. I don't know why, and this is this is this is weird, right? But she reminds me of like a teller at the racetrack. At like Saratoga, you know, when you go up and outside and like the like a specific teller or just a generalization of a teller, like the generalization of a teller. She's yeah, like, she's that like, she's like, she's they, like they a, usually try to have the worst jokes ever, right? When you go to the window, and that, that makes sense, that's not weird. But she'd be like sense. a local from Saratoga because the guys from New York they bring the, the curmudgeon guys from New York and they always kind of like get mad at you and then they try to like you know pay you. When when they give you your change, they give it to you slow, so hoping you walk away. I learned that trick when I was young. <laughs> you know, when they got to give you two twenties and a five, and they give you the the two twenties, and then they kind of hesitate before they give you the five. You're like, "Can I have my five? Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh. <laughs> this trick in the book, man. Tricks, yeah. I was a teller for a little while when I was in Arizona at the great Relito Park. And I, I believe I, uh, where did we go? We went to, uh, we got a job working one weekend at one of the fair tracks in Globe or somewhere. Oh, boy. Oh, man. I, I wish we had pictures from those days. Like, I, there's a lot of times I, I'm happy that we don't have pictures from those days. But there are some things that, like, places we, we had gone that I wish we had pictures of. And, like, it was on the way to, like, Tombstone was on the way to this one fair track in Arizona. I mean, they're talking about $1,000 purses. Boy. Yeah. Yep. And I always seemed to, like, work for free because I'd make some bets and... I would never wind up actually taking home anything. But I was licensed in the state of Arizona as a paramutual clerk. See? Things things you did not know. Yeah. I know I didn't. Yep, a long, long time ago. It's kind of sad that, I, I mean, it doesn't even look like Turf Paradise is going to... I don't know if they're going to open or not going to open. It's, it's well, they said something. I, I I read something today. It was like, oh, they're prepping for an 84-day meet or something, but it didn't sound solid. So no, I was like, it's, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's fake news. They fake usually news. they usually be, would be racing by now. Right. I think at end of October, they're getting ready to race. I mean, Tuesdays was my thing. You know, I used to... <laughs> I used to have Tuesdays off, and uh, when I when I lived in Orlando, and my at that point soon to be wife was a teller, so I'd 
basically hang out and, and play Turf Paradise. The Turf. Some tracks are so weird, like Turf Paradise. Like, maybe it's the camera angles. Canterbury has this problem. Oh, it's not really a problem. Um, Remington also has it, too, where the horses look like the camera angles or whatever it is that they do, the horses look like they're ten times faster than they are. Yeah, right. I think they're they're closer. Like they they. I don't. Yeah, it, I, that's what I was concluding. That I think the zoom they put on the the horses in the stretch or something. It, it just they look like they're running amazingly fast, and then you see the time. It's like mm, not so much. Well, Turf Paradise used to be insanely fast. That that track was like, uh, I mean, I know that the turf was like a, a pool table. Yeah. I told you, I, that, that was the only track I ever been to that they took the races off the dirt and put them on the turf when it rained. That uh, the, the races... Um, the uh the races would you know the turf would would wash out and they would um they would run them on the turf they'd run like 2500 claimers going to three quarters on the turf <laughs> it was crazy but uh i remember um I remember zany tactics oh boy never heard that name in a long time zany tactics when he when he went 106 and 4 when he won the uh, the Phoenix Gold Cup, that was kind of uh, that was that was in the eighties, eighty five, eighty six. He he was uh, he was a good horse though. You know he 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 was a good horse. It wasn't like um, he was uh, not a quality horse. But he he wound up going to uh, to California and and I think he set the track record uh, at Hollywood on the grass. Um, but he he was uh he he was a good horse. The Phoenix Gold Cup used to be a a sprint race that they had there. Um, it was, it was I think it was a hundred thousand, which you know at the time was, was was a lot of money. Big money. Yeah. But uh, it's that's I think it's been been a while since uh since they ran that race. I remember they used to have the Cotton Fitzsimmons. They still do, but I don't know. Yeah. They did. Yeah, it was like a long distance surf race, but it seemed like every time we were there, Cotton Fitzsimmons was there. He was like a, uh, of course he's he's died, you know, years ago, but he he was a, uh, um, he was a regular there. Cotton so Fitzsimmons. So when is when is Bell Terra gonna give the Pete Rose, the Pete Rose steak, the thistle? The Pete Rose steaks. Yeah. Uh, well... Pete Rose Invitational, something like that, man. Sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Pete Rose probably lost more money on horses than he did on, uh... Than on his squad, huh? He yeah. probably won. I mean, he, he, he had to win every time, right? Pete Rose <laughs> was, was a regular at, uh... At Turf... Well, it was called Latonia back then, but... It's, it's, they said that he he had a room up. They had a room upstairs that that Pete was uh, would go to, and they they said that Pete didn't win too much either. 
Pete was a contributor to the pools. Honestly, it's it's time. It's time for Pete Rose to just, you know, to put him in. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's done his jail time. It's 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 long enough. It's long enough. Let let Pete in. And I was never a big fan of Pete Rose when he was a player. He was kind of yeah, annoying. Yeah, he was kind of a dick. Yeah, I didn't like the Phillies. <laughs> I didn't like the Reds. I didn't like the teams he was on. And he, he always was kind of like... The big like, red machine? Like he, he was like a respected guy because you, you'd think this freaking guy's always getting a key hit or this or that. But he just seemed like he was like, you know, I don't know. I was never a big fan. But you know what? He, he He's... He belongs in the Hall of Fame as a player, and it's these days. Well, considering you know some of the guys that you know are going to get in, the juicy guys. <laughs> yeah. All the juice guys that are going to get in, and and it's like he bet a couple games, and he's on the outside looking in. He's probably just twenty times the baseball player of a lot of those dudes. Well, if they're going to let jerks like Jeter in, they might as well let Pete Rose in. <sighs> My hatred for See, you. See, you, you swayed me into this limbo of <laughs> liking and not liking Jeter at the same time. Don't, there's, no reason. there's no reason to like him. He's not a player anymore. Now he's just a sellout guy that's, that's, that sucks. And the Marlins aren't good. And it was a fluke Didn't they just year. fire somebody yesterday? I don't know. They don't know what they're doing. They should fire they Jeter. I think it's the... the Player personnel guy, I think. G- yeah, Jeter firing a guy because he, you know, he's got to blame somebody else for all his shortcomings. Poor Donnie Baseball, he'll be next. No, it's a legend. But uh, so like like we didn't have a Hall of Fame induction this year for you know racing, so next year is going to be like a, a mega class. Double, double. Double yeah, feature. A, a, a double feature. I don't even know who's up for... for. Uh, so I've got to ask Brian from the Hall of Fame who... who uh, oh, yeah, Brian. Yeah. Brian knows everything. You know, I, I was a big promoter of... Um, of... Um, oh, I'm forgetting. Uh, extra Heat. Oh, yeah. And people would try to argue me. I, I kept saying... She won 35 stakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to say. <laughs> you know, like, and, and it wasn't like she won, she, she ran at Charlestown. She you know, there's, there's a quiet push. And it's not that quiet. Listen, for a while, there was a push to get Dale Baird in. And I was adamantly against Dale Baird being in. I said, That's like putting in the best minor league baseball player. He, you know, he he was very successful in his realm, but it's not what we consider the Hall of Fame standard. He 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 never even won a graded stakes race, and now there's a push to put Perry Utz in, and I have no problem with Perry Utz personally, but his longevity is unique and it's it's uh something to be commended and perhaps right, perhaps he should get some sort of award from the hall of fame maybe they could create kind of a uh 
a Lifetime Achievement Award of something, but he was never a top rider at a top track. He never rode top horses. And that's the whole premise of the Hall of Fame. It's the best of the best, not the best of Ohio. They have a stake race as the best of Ohio. None of those horses make it to the Hall of Fame. And I know he's won a lot of races, but you know Russell Bays went to the big leagues for a while. And Bay Meadows and Golden Gate was always considered a, a far better circuit than anything that, that's been run in Ohio. And it's not that, I, you know, I think it's, it's amazing that the guy has been able to ride to this, you know, at, at this point in his life. It's just unbelievable. But um, I, I just can't see letting guys like that in because um, because they just lasted a long time. So. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you know, you, you see it kind of in basketball, too, where, you know, a guy, like, someone was trying to convince me the other day that Rondo should be a Hall of Famer. And I was like, I'm not so sure... About that. Basketball is difficult because it's not the NBA it's Hall not, of Fame. Right, it's just not an NBA it's, resume. It's, I mean, it's they they have they have people in there that I've never heard of, <laughs> you know. And when I read about them, I still have never heard of them. I don't know where they played or, or coached or were. I mean, they have the Basketball Hall of Fame is is has got a huge roster of people and teams and stuff, but it, it's it's a little bit more difficult and and it, like the other sports. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. College Football Hall of Fame is, is the College Hall of Fame. Right. It's very specific. NBA's, or the, the you know, basketball is both of those combined. It's it's that that and, and, and international. international. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, so uh, you know, like Oscar Schmidt. I mean, he was. Oh yeah, he's the greatest. Know, one of the you know, not only was he a, a great player, but he was a seemed like he was a total maniac. So I mean, Complete that's the, that's the kind of guy we want in the Hall of Fame, but. I, I was I was the other day somehow we got so uh, the Denver Nuggets put a, a social media post Carmelo. about who's the best Nugget of all time and they did not put Carmelo. Of course, they also did not put Dan Issel and they also did not put David Thompson. So it was it was kind of not you know all that accurate. Anyways, but uh, I got the just looking some stuff up and then there was that final um, scoring title. Um, race and it was again you talk about things that like just probably don't happen anymore and um, when George Gervin and Thompson David Thompson were two oh, yeah, two hundredths of a two tenths of a point you know going into the last last game uh, of the season and 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 Thompson and Denver played an early game and, and he scored seventy three <laughs> and, and Gervin needed fifty nine in the late game and there was no television there was no you know there's 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 no accounts in either game there's no there's no pictures there's no video nothing of either game and um Gervin supposedly you know before the 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 game the team and, and I think they had the playoffs locked up it was it was not even a game that that had had no bearing on anything their seating was already locked up and and uh, they were playing in, in New Orleans, and um, 
the coach of the team said, "Hey, let's let's get him the title, get him the ball." And apparently, he 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 the first quarter, <laughs> he missed all his shots. He played, he missed like his first six or seven shots. And Thompson had set the the, the had broke Will Chamberlain's record for points in a quarter. I think the the record was thirty, and Thompson set the record. He scored thirty one points in a quarter in the earlier game, and. He was laughing because he said, "I I held I held the record of holding the record for the shortest time because Gervin scored thirty two <laughs> in a quarter in the second quarter, and he had fifty four points at halftime and he he needed fifty nine to to make it, and uh, he got the fifty nine. Then then he scored two more baskets because he told the coach, "Well, I just don't want to make I I, I don't want to leave it the chance in case they made a mistake," but. You know the the great scoring battle of of I mean these days we would have had split screen and you know there there'd have been four thousand reporters there and covering it and and now back then there was there was nobody. David Thompson said he he was trying to uh, he was driving around, putting the AM radio on trying to pick up a broadcast of the game, and he finally got it and he said yeah at halftime Gervin's got fifty four so he's like. I just turned it off and went home. I knew it was over. <laughs> yeah, he knew it was over. It was a wrap. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was funny because, you know, people get all... I, I don't know how this started, but the ratings. Oh, my God, the ratings are down because of this. Because of that. Right, and, and they kept saying, well, the ratings are the worst in history. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on. They used to play the ra- the, the NBA Finals on, t- on replay after the 11 o'clock news. That's right. So you can't tell me that, oh, well, we they weren't counting ratings back then. I said, okay, when you say all-time, all-time actually started in, like, the, the, the 80s. <laughs> it's a different all-time than actual all-time, uh, which is something that happens in racing sometimes when... They also used to play back-to-back games in the finals. Oh, man. It was it was a totally different... different uh, totally different way of doing things, but... Uh, uh, you know, racing that that was the the guy said on Twitter about well, skydiver. Is this the greatest three year old Philly campaign ever? It's like, <laughs> no. Uh, well, if 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 ever started like fifteen years ago, maybe yeah. But you know, there was that horse named Rachel Alexandra. She had a pretty good campaign. <laughs> and then you know, there was some Phillies in the eighties, like you know, Lady Secret, Serena Song, and Lady Secret ran seventeen times the three year old and won ten. But um. Sometimes uh, people just forget that, you know, there was racing and sports and stuff before, uh, you know, before we were born and watching too. <laughs> Anyways, Barry, I appreciate your time as always. Always a pleasure, my man. And uh, like I said next week we can start to kind of sift through the the probables and, and, and maybe have you handicap some of the races long term, see if there's anybody you kind of have your eye on and, and uh, well happy favor, right? <laughs> that'll be your long shot? That's your Budweiser long shot? That's it <laughs> Hey, I've seen Arkong one, so He's probably he's probably got a better shot going in than our Kong did. Slightly. 
Not much, though. I don't think. Arkong. Yeah, that was one of those after the race you looked at it and you're like, like I, how? I, I, how? I, how does that happen? I still couldn't know I'm coming for this one. But uh, anyways, I do appreciate your time on Monday, on the Big Monday show. That's right, my man. Big Monday. And again, tomorrow we have uh, Peter Lee going to come on and we're going to talk about Spectacular Bid. And if Swift Hitter, anybody knows him, he's going to be mocked. Mocked for his cigar <laughs> lust. He's AWOL on Twitter, by the oh, way, no, so know. we got to find him. He, he, might be, he might be spying as someone else, but we'll see. But oh. yeah, Peter Lee's going to be on, and we're going to talk uh, again. We're going to, tomorrow is the uh, the Blackburn Correctional Facility horse show, which is a virtual horse show. It's going to be on, and hopefully everybody can tune in for at least a little bit and give, give those guys and the horse the props, and uh, um, and we'll go from there. That That's that's uh, tomorrow on Going in Circles Live. So we're running out of time, and uh, again, thank you, Barry, and thanks for everyone for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you later.